Welcome to Cooking the Books. I'm Vanessa, your host, and I'm glad you're here. Happy New Year. We made it through the shithole that was 2020, and hopefully we survived stronger than ever. I hope you and your families, friends, and loved ones are staying well, and that your Christmas, or Kwanzaa, or Diwali, or Hanukkah, or whatever you celebrate, was filled with good things and lots of food and wine. Christmas for me was quite different this year, as it no doubt was for all of you, and New Year's Day in particular is very strange this year. I usually have a huge open house to welcome in the new year when I get to see all my friends and family. We eat and drink and generally make merry. This year, unfortunately, it's a fucking desert. Pardon my French, but you know, fuck it. I'm kind of at the end of everything having to do with 2020, literally and figuratively, So I suppose dropping a few F-bombs is the least of my worries. Anyway, this year, I couldn't in good conscience have my big bash, and I totally miss it. But there are lots of other good things on the horizon, so it makes up for it a little bit. The most important thing coming up for me is that I am, ta-da, buying my very first house. It's super exciting, a little nerve-wracking, But hey, if you stay in the same place forever, nothing is ever accomplished. I think, particularly having lived through the hell of last year, that if we are given opportunities to improve our lives, no matter how scary, we need to take them. So I'm going out on a limb and taking on the most responsibility I ever have as an adult. I mean, other than owning a dog, of course. I look forward to continuing my blog and this podcast when I'm settled into my new place and I will certainly report back on how things are doing. With the holidays, the one thing that didn't change this year was the overload of goodies. Holy crap, I think I got even more cookies and candies and cakes and pies this year than I ever have, which I guess is understandable because we literally have nothing to do here since our restaurants are still only allowed carryout, delivery, and patio dining, and there are no in-person events happening at all as we are still trying to curb the cases of COVID-19 in my city. And I'm sorry, but it is too goddamn cold to sit on a patio in December in the Western Hemisphere. So getting myself back on track food-wise means eating something a little lighter and healthier, but that is still picturesque and beautiful and literary-based. And as well, one of the things I tend to do every year during the holidays is reread the poetry of Pablo Neruda. And oddly enough, the concept of healthier food and literature or literary poetry, in this case, mixed very well here. If you've never read or heard of the poetry of Pablo Neruda, Pablo Neruda, excuse me, my constant listeners, you are in for a marvelous treat. And this is coming from someone who generally loathes poetry. I just hate the structure and the meter of poetry, but that's probably because I hate rules anyway. And poetry always seems to have to, to follow certain strictures, which irritates the shit out of me. I can handle some Shakespeare. But aside from that, literally the only poet I can stomach is Neruda. And I mean that in the literal sense because other poetry sort of turns my stomach. Don't ask me why. I mean, I do love hearing poetry read by somebody who understands how it should be enunciated. But when I try to read poetry, either in my head or out loud, I always feel like I sound like an idiot. Well, with the exception of the poems of Pablo Neruda, that is. Neruda is my favorite poet in all the world. 
He writes in such a sensual, lyrical rhythm that is a gorgeous combination of the magical realism so common in Latin American writing and with a pure romantic worldview centered around love in so many of his poems. Though he is known worldwide for many of his different types of poetry, including political, to me, his arguable masterpiece of love poetry is his 20 love poems and a song of despair. That's a wonderful book. It has gorgeous poetry, though my personal favorite is Cien Sonetos de Amor, which translates to 100 love sonnets. Cien Sonetos, in my humble opinion, is probably one of the most beautiful and erotic collections of poetry in the world, mature and beautiful and quite sensual. I highly recommend you read them if you haven't already. I mean, with lines like this one. Plena mujer, manzana carnal, luna caliente, espeso aroma de algas, lodo y luz machacados. Que oscura claridad se abre entre tus columnas. Que antigua noche el hombre toca con sus sentidos. Ay, amar es un viaje con agua y con estrellas, con aire ahogado y bruscas tempestades de harina. Amar es un combate de relámpagos y dos cuerpos por una sola, sola miel derrotados. Beso a beso recorro tu pequeño infinito, tus márgenes, tus ríos, tus pueblos diminutos, y el fuego genital transformado en delicia corre por los delgados caminos de la sangre, hasta precipitarse como un clavel nocturno, hasta ser y no ser sino un rayo en la sombra. Full woman, flesh apple, hot moon, thick smell of seaweed, mud, and light in masquerade. What secret clarity opens through your columns? What ancient night does a man touch with his senses? Oh, love is a journey with water and stars, with drowning air and storms of flower. Love is a clash of lightnings, two bodies subdued by one honey. Kiss by kiss, I travel your little infinity, your borders, your rivers, your tiny villages, and a genital fire transformed delicious slips through the narrow roadways of the blood till it pours itself, quick like a night carnation, till it is and is nothing in shadow and a flimmer of light. Now, I don't know about you, but I cannot read that poem without being turned on. <laughs> So back to Neruda himself. As much a political figure as a poet, Pablo Neruda was actually born Ricardo Eliezer Neftali Reyes Basualto in Chile. Now there's an impressive mouthful of a name right there, isn't it? His poetry was considered beautiful, avant-garde, and at times very subversive to the repressive government in his home country. Highly respected as both a writer and a political figure, he traveled extensively throughout the world, both as a diplomat and after he was forced into exile after Chile outlined communism. A believer in pure communist ideals, Neruda was associated with other such exalted revolutionaries of the day as Garcia Lorca, Pablo Picasso, and Salvador Allende. Depending on who you ask, he either died of illness or was helped along to his death by the Pinochet government, which he had fervently criticized. Proof that words can be as powerful as any other weapon if used correctly. And though I do adore Neruda's love sonnets, the odes he wrote in homage to everyday normal items such as food are 
my absolute favorites. He wrote odes using these mundane objects as personification of the human experience. Odes to a tuna he saw in the marketplace, golden lemons, pearly onions, jade green artichokes, ruby and topaz colored wine, my personal favorite, and tomatoes. His ode to tomatoes is explicit, comparing the crimson flesh of the tomato itself to the bleeding and the suffering of mankind. But he also finds the sheer joy in cooking and eating this common food to be so wonderful as well. And of course, being both a ritter and an avid cook myself, I've always found his odes to food so filled with pleasure and sensuality. It's interesting if you think about it, Neruda is as comfortable detailing his political beliefs in a logical manner as he is describing the eroticism of kissing his lover, the joys of drinking wine, or the simple pleasure of eating a tomato. The street filled with tomatoes, midday, summer, light is halved like a tomato. Its juice runs through the streets in December, unabated, the tomato invades the kitchen. It enters at lunchtime, takes its ease on countertops, among glasses, butter dishes, loose salt cellars. It sheds its own light, benign majesty. Unfortunately, we must murder it. The knife sinks into the living flesh, red viscera a cool sun, profound, inexhaustible, populates the salads of chili. Happily, it is wed to the queer onion, and to celebrate the union, we pour oil. Essential child of the olive onto its halved hemispheres, pepper adds its fragrance, salt, its magnetism. It is the wedding of the day, Parsley hoists its flag. Potatoes bubble vigorously. The aroma of the roast knocks at the door. It's time, come on and on. The table at the midpoint of summer. The tomato, star of the earth, recurrent and fertile. Star displays its convolutions, its canals, its remarkable amplitude and abundance. No pit. No husk, no leaves or thorns. The tomato offers its gift of fiery color and cool completeness. Isn't that just beautiful? In honor of this magnificent poet and in the spirit of eating a little lighter post-Christmas, I decided to create an homage meal that incorporated tuna, onion, lemon, artichoke, tomatoes, and of course wine, because hey, that's just how I roll. And not just with my eyes either. Anyway, this is the method that worked for me, creating a delicious tuna stuffed tomato alongside lemon steamed artichokes and a beautiful ruby colored Chilean wine. I do think Neruda would approve wholeheartedly of this meal created in his honor. The ultimate fan art, if you will. So for this, you will need two large ripe tomatoes at room temperature, don't ever put your tomatoes in the refrigerator. One six ounce can of good quality tuna drained and flaked. Two tablespoons of good quality mayonnaise, preferably organic. Half a red onion, finely minced. 
half a celery rib, finely minced, half tablespoon of fresh Italian parsley, also finely minced, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard, one tablespoon of fresh lemon juice, or use it from the bottle, what the hell, live dangerously, salt and pepper to taste, and two slices of sharp cheddar cheese or any melty cheese you like. Gruyere would be lovely here as would Havarti or even mozzarella. And this is what you do. So you want to preheat your oven to 400 degrees Fahrenheit and spray a baking sheet with olive oil spray. While the oven heats, saute the diced onion in just a little bit of olive oil and some salt until the onion is translucent. While the onion is cooling, cut the tops off of the tomatoes about a quarter, I would say a quarter or even a third from the top. Scoop out the seeds and the pulpy juices, but do not discard them. Drain the tomato halves upside down on a plate while you prepare the tuna salad. Mix your now cool onion with the flaked tuna, the celery and parsley, the tomato seeds, and the lemon juice. Give it a quick taste for seasoning and adjust as needed. Then add in the mayonnaise and the mustard and season with more salt and pepper if you think it still needs it. Fill each tomato half with a tuna mixture and top with a slice of cheese. Then the fun part, you pop those bad boys in the oven and bake for 15 minutes or until you see the cheese getting meltingly golden. You'll be able to smell it as well, yummy. While the tomatoes are roasting, boil two trimmed and stemmed artichokes in salted lemony water for 15 to 20 minutes. Drain the artichokes and allow them to steam in the same pan for another five to 10 minutes. While that's happening, melt some butter and lemon juice in a bowl and season with salt. Then, the pièce de résistance. Serve the luscious, meltingly good stuffed tomatoes on a platter with the, an artichoke and with a lovely glass of the aforementioned Chilean wine and enjoy the visual poetry of this ode to good food. So delicious. I think you could even use this method with chicken salad. You could even use a half an avocado if you wanted to, but... I'm sticking with the imagery of Pablo Neruda himself, so I went ahead and stayed with the tomato. I highly recommend this dish. Tomatoes are usually not very good this time of year, but this is a wonderful dish for the summer, the springtime. If you can get your hands on any kind of ripe garden tomatoes, I highly recommend you make this dish. Well, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank the handsome, charming, and occasionally aggravating Dr. Eduardo Tafoya for his reading of the poem itself. I figured who better than an English professor who is used to pontificating on a daily basis for reading a lengthy piece of poetry. And as usual, I was right. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, you might also like my blog. So feel free to check it out at www.foodinbooks.com. That's www.foodinbooks.com. O-O-D-I-N-B-O-O-K-S dot com. You can also like me on Facebook and follow me on Instagram, the links to both of which are in the show notes. I hope you have a lovely rest of January and that you don't do anything that I wouldn't do, which leaves you with so many options, G-rated and not. Happy New Year, constant listeners, and I will see you again soon.